Tuameva mata te pita tuameva. Tuameva bandhu chasakha tuameva. Tuameva vidyadravinam tuameva. Tuameva saravam vamodeva deva. God is in everything. God is everything. He is our friend, our beloved, our riches, our knowledge, our father and mother, everything. He is you and don't forget it. Don't look in the mirror and say, oh, so I'm God, eh? I don't mean it that way. But God is you. You can't say the wave is the ocean, but you can say the ocean has become all its waves. And God is you. It's to that God that I talk through you. You know, many years ago, I had the inspiration to feel that in my audiences, my guru was in each one. And I was talking to my guru, and somebody said to me, well, how can you lecture to your guru? And I realized that wasn't what I meant. I meant that he was trying to stimulate everybody's heart, that the God in each one of us and the guru in each one of us is trying to awaken us from our delusions. And if we would listen, we would quickly go to God, but the trouble is we don't listen. We blame him when things go wrong. We don't understand we're the one who caused it. We've got to reach that point where everywhere we look, we see God. And the beautiful thing is that the more you have that consciousness, the more other people will respond to you in kind without even knowing why it is. One woman told me she had seen my guru in a restaurant just through the window of the restaurant uh, from outside. And she turned to her husband and she said, that has to even be the most Christ-like face I've ever seen. Many people were drawn to him just by looking at him because he shone with that God. And it's not the kind of God who stands on a mountaintop and sort of pours down fury or rain or sunshine or whatever. He's you. He came to us as our true divine friend. And in that way, he sought to relate to us, to awaken within us. This is what I've tried to do, as I say. Whenever I lecture, I'm talking to you right now. Through this camera lens, I visualize you. And that soul within you, which wants to find that which all people want, happiness and love and peace of mind. I would like to read to you today from the book Conversations with Yogananda. I want to be sure that I have the number right. Yes. The master told me the following story about his visit to India in 1935. This is a pretty funny one. Because it was a time of political agitation in India, when the country was making increasing demands for independence from England, the British police were suspicious of me and followed me everywhere. They wanted to make sure I didn't add to the general unrest by fanning revolutionary fervor. When I visited the Maharaja of Mysore, by the way, I might just tell this as a little side story, that he had that, that powerful nature that a general might have, and so people naturally looked to him for leadership. And a group of people in Bengal came to him once when he was a young man and asked him to lead a revolution to liberate India. And he said, uh, 
that's your work, that's not my work. And he then said that India will be liberated in my lifetime by peaceful means. And so let me go on here. When I visited the Maharaja of Mysore, the police there tried to entrap me. They paid an English woman to create a public scene. Their plan was for her to approach me, throw her arms around me, then kiss me ardently. Press photographers were to be standing nearby, ready to snap that photograph. The picture would then be published in the newspapers, locally and perhaps nationally, as a means of slandering me. God showed me their plan, however. At a public gathering, a young white woman came up to me in view of everyone and was about to embrace me when I grabbed her by the waist, lifted her high above my head, and turned to the photographers. Now, I called out, smiling, take your photograph. Of course, they did nothing of the kind. To have published such a picture would only have been an embarrassment to the authorities. But it was marvelous how appropriately he handled everything, and always with good humor. He didn't take people's insults. He didn't take their enmity. He didn't take their effort to revenge or anything. He didn't take it with anything but a sense of humor. And pleasantly, he saw everyone as the same Atman in each person. He never got angry. I, never, I can't imagine him being angry. But he could make a good show in order to tell somebody off to help make him really take it seriously. You know, if you have a child that's about to run out into the street where there's heavy traffic, you're not going to say, now, little Ramu, don't, don't run. It's, just a, it's not good. You might get run over. In the meantime, you might be run over. You're going to grab him by the scruff of the neck and pull him back and probably give him a few whacks on the bottom to make him remember that this is something you don't do. There's a lot of publicity in the West, and I don't know what it's like here in India, but they say, oh, never beat your child. Well, I'd say that was one time. It's a good thing to beat him. You beat him out of love. Masters sometimes beat us out of love because it, he had to impress. If he had always smiled, say, well, that's not a very nice thing to do. Uh, that's not the best way to train some people. Sometimes they have hard heads. You need to knock it in them. But somehow... He always maintained this, this smile of sweetness inside, and he could show it. Um, one time, there's this delightful story that one of the, my brother's disciples told me. He was up in my guru's third floor sitting room, and there was a woman there who evidently needed a good scolding, and he was raging at her like this, and he was storming up and down the room. Well, this brother disciple of mine was sitting at the other end of the room, and the moment Master would turn in such a way that he could see the disciple, the brother disciple, but have his back to her, he'd break into a smile and wink and then go back like this. But it was all a show. The thing is that, however, don't try to hurt God because you will suffer in the long run. English tried to hurt the Indians and Mahatma Gandhi by his beautiful nonviolence. And there was something in the paper just the other day um, talking about how well he wasn't that nice at home. Well, just look, what did it take to whip a whole nation of people into shape? He had to be pretty stern. He had to be pretty tough. He was not a good father. He was a good leader. And he had that role to play. So don't expect that everybody can, anybody can be all things all the time. 
The one person I saw that came closest to that ideal of perfection was my own guru. He could be so many different people from one moment to the next, but uh, if people chose to misunderstand him, there was the uh, brother of the present president of SRF, who was a young boy. He came into the ashram with his mother and family, and uh, my guru would sometimes tell him something, and the boy would say to his mother, Mommy, he's scolding me. Well, he didn't understand, and so my guru stopped trying. In fact, one day he gave him an airplane, and oh, the boy was so delighted. He, when he grew up, he became an air, aircraft engineer. And my guru said, well, that was his way. I tried. That's all I could do. Not everybody understood, by no means. He never, and this is a beautiful thing to remember, never did he intrude on your free will. He always gave you the freedom to go his way or not go his way. And in fact, sometimes he would test you. Oh, yes, why shouldn't he? If he's always going to be sweet, how, is, how are you going to know whether you have within you little ruffled of ability to get angry, indignant, become revengeful, all those things? Yes, he brought those things out of people, sometimes deliberately, sometimes by being so strong in himself. Weak people and mediocre people cannot stand genius. They cannot stand high energy. They're always going to have to try to pull it down because they can't come up to its level. I met swamis in America who just were, they couldn't come up to his level, so they tried to pull him down. There is that side. But the truth is that inside he is always one to everybody. That love he gives you. Don't misunderstand what the great masters do when sometimes they give you a good scolding. There's a story of a saint who used to, one time he, in a pretense of anger, threw bricks at his disciples. Imagine. One disciple had such devotion that she took that brick and took it home after it hit her and put it on her altar. The next morning, she saw that brick had turned to gold. The guru doesn't want you harm, but he does want to. Sometimes you have to lance a boil. Sometimes a doctor has to cause pain in order to free you of much greater pain. So the guru has that job. He's not in it. It's not a popularity contest for him. He's not trying to be liked. But he does like, and that comes across if you're at all sensitive. I remember sitting on the floor in front of him one time. He was editing, and I was just thinking what a blessing it was to be with him. What joy. And I was just thinking, thank God, I got this opportunity to be with this great instrument, guru of God. He didn't say anything, he didn't look at me. But when he was finished, he asked me to help him to his feet. And I held, he held my hands and looked into my eyes with so much joy. And he said, just the bowels of the ocean. He never saw these things personally. He never thought, I am this or I am that. One time somebody praised him for his humility. He said, how can there be humility when there is no consciousness of self? This was the man of God I used to live with. And I live with still in my own heart. To me, he's a living reality. He's with me right now. I feel his presence. But my job in this life and my duty here in India is to help you to get to know him. The only way I can do it is through me, but don't look at me. 
I'm not the one who counts. Whatever comes through me, it's sort of like what I said the other day. When you see the skies in the, at sunset, sundown, and the, sky, the sun is shining on all the clouds, and suddenly they become beautiful. When the sun sets, then they're gray and no longer beautiful. And so human beings are beautiful only to the extent that they manifest the divine light. You know, one time years ago, I, was, I had an office in my room, and I, my job was to write letters to people who wrote letters to our organization or also to Master because he had me write letters for him. And one day there was a big rainstorm and it splattered mud all over my window so that I could no longer enjoy what I used to see through the window, which was a lovely garden, greenery, flowers, trees. And uh, it was sort of unpleasant because I was used to seeing the beauty, but I was so busy that I didn't have the time for a couple of weeks, so that for two weeks I had to look at that mud on the window. So that finally then, after two weeks, I got a free Saturday afternoon, I cleaned the window, and I stepped back and I thought, oh, what a beautiful window. And then I laughed. Because, you know, the reason it was beautiful was that I couldn't see it anymore. I could see through it. And I thought, that is what a saint is. You're not seeing the man anymore. You're seeing the divine shining through that saint. And it's such a strange story. There's this, the guru is a person and that is not a person. It's the divine, but he won't let you keep that consciousness only or you won't be able to be human around him. He would tell jokes. He wouldn't expect you to just freeze in ecstasy or samadhi or meditation. He'd expect you to laugh with him. He's being human, delightfully and divinely human. But this one day, I was just a few couple of yards away from him. I was thinking, because it's a puzzle. It must be a puzzle for all disciples. He is there, but he's also here. How am I to relate to him there? Or here. <laughs> Just at that moment, he, he suddenly came to me with a little apple. He said, for you, Walter. Just to remind me, well, he was there. He was a human being. Yes, I can meditate with him. I remember one time I, I was with him at a, at a, it was a show put on. I won't go into the story of the show. It is quite delightful. But afterwards, I was just thinking, what a blessing and what a joy to be with him. And when I and a group of people who were with him all went home, he was, he, I was the one he sent to my room. Not them, because they weren't having that same level of communion. But I was feeling him so much inside. That was for meditation. That wasn't for chatter. And so he honored that. It wasn't that he was dismissing me. He was giving me the chance to go off and just feel his presence more deeply inside. Often in a group of people, he would always zero in on me for some reason. And I used to wish he wouldn't in a way because I wanted to commune with him inwardly, not outwardly. I used to notice when I visited the great woman, Saint Anandamoyi Ma, and I spent a lot of time with her in India. Whenever I could get a chance, I would go with her. And uh, I... I used to say, I'm Itomar Bhatsa, I'm just your little child. But uh, others would wander around trying to see her expression, see whom she was seeing, see whom she was having interview with, all outward. To me, that was offensive. 
I could feel her so much in my heart. That's where the guru really resides. And I, fortunately, I had that relationship with her. I remember one time I was in her ashram in Kankal outside Haridwar, and I had to take a train. And she was saying, all right, go take your train. I just couldn't leave. Finally, I said, Ma, I can't leave as long as you're standing in front of me. And she smiled. She understood and went inside. Then I ran. I don't know if the train was being held by her, but I ran down the platform, and only when I got onto the train did it suddenly start. Well, that's how he was, too. He, Yes, he was human, but you could feel this is where you need to commune with the guru. Don't look at his expressions. Somebody used to keep photographs of him all all over his wall, he papered his wall with them. Master said, I'm not that, I'm here. Remember, all of all mankind, they're all your brothers and sisters. If you see God in them as he did, you're here. I've been in many countries and mixed with many men. I've shared their days of sunshine, gone with them in the rain. The fires at evening said we were brothers. The fires at evening said we were brothers. A soldier I saw weeping beside a dying friend. My officers had preached I must hate him till the end. But seeing his grief, I knew we were brothers. But seeing his grief, I knew we were brothers. A man sat on a doorstep to see the children play. The gentle way he smiled there would charm your fears away. A stranger he, but love made us brothers. A stranger he, but love made us brothers. One day I climbed a mountain with friends of other lands. The words we used were different, but joy one understands. Our gladness in God's world made us brothers. Our gladness in God's world made us brothers. The words and customs vary like waves upon the sea. One life beneath the surface finds everyone to me. Who knows himself knows all men as brothers. Who knows himself knows all men as brothers. Then brothers, why endeavor to set ourselves apart? The fences we've been building squeeze tight upon our hearts. Come sing the truth that all men are brothers. Come sing the truth that all men are.